Perform this on demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Welcome back. We're talking about anti-Semitism, about terrorism. And many on the left this week are talking about numbers. And I didn't want to sit down and read you statistics. But, you know, listen, the Trump administration put out its counterterrorism strategy and made it clear that one of the focuses is not only radical Islamic terrorism, Islamist terrorism, but neo-Nazi groups, hate groups in America. And yes, there are significant numbers, skinheads and others in the millions that adhere to this ideology. But yet, we need to put this into perspective. And putting it into perspective doesn't mean you can't address both in parallel tracks at the same time. And it doesn't mean that Uh, radical neo-Nazis, which the left wants to call violent extremists so that they can also call the Islamists violent extremists. But I I, I detest that language because they are not the same. They may end up at the same pathway at the same point, which is to kill an individual based on a hate for their ideas and for their identity. Yes, that may be a common endpoint of violent extremism, but the beginning point can be very different. For neo-Nazis, the beginning point is racial supremacy, is fascist belief in a Aryan race, etc. White nationalism, whatever the variety of supremacism that you want that basically we've all learned about in history from Adolf Hitler on. For Islamism, it's a belief that a system based in a Muslim identity, an Islamic state identity, and a Sharia state is dominant and everybody else is less human. So that's Sharia supremacy, Islamist supremacy, and thus they will kill and bomb concerts and restaurants and individuals to achieve a political goal, which is to weaken the West, to make the West withdraw so that they can seek dominance first in Muslim-majority countries and second to build enclaves and separatist movements in the West. That's the difference and the original idea, which ends them in then committing an act of Islamist violent extremism, which is very similar to the endpoint of neo-Nazi violent extremism. But the scope is what I want to bring to you. And I'm not even going to repeat the, the crazy words of Don Lemon on CNN this week, who basically wanted the world to believe that the biggest threat to Americans is the white man and his attack and his terror. And you can look at the numbers. As I said, there's no doubt that the Trump administration in its counterterrorism strategy is focusing on neo-Nazi groups. But to say that the white man is the biggest threat, you can look at sheer numbers. And even by the sheer numbers, the number of arrests of Muslims seeking to join ISIS, radical Islamic groups, Jabhat al-Nusra, Al-Qaeda, Jamaat Islamiyya, Hamas, etc., still is much larger than the arrests for of neo-Nazis. Now, it's not thousands of times more, it's not hundreds of times more, but it's larger. 
But when you make a comparison, if you want to do the identity politic, the left screams at the right because the right, they think, is using the threat of Islamists in order to divide America and demonize the other and demonize the minority. So the left's response to that is not to look at root causes, but to demonize the majority and say they are the protector of the minority, and yet they're using the same weapon, which is identity politic and demonization of a race. So Don Lemon demonizes whites. Now, even from a stereotype standards, is that true? What he forgets is, even if let's just, I don't believe the aggregate numbers are more for whites, than they are for, and by the way, Muslims could be white. Many of the Muslims that are in prison include the shoe bomber and others that are Western individuals that converted to Islam. So Islam is an ideology. Islamism is a political ideology. Radical Islamism is a terroristic political ideology, theopolitical ideology. Anyway, if you look at the sheer numbers, let's let me just say that Let's assume that, and let's use round numbers here, that there are 100 acts of terror committed by neo-Nazis and 50 acts of terror a year completed by radical Muslims. But if those 50 acts of terror by radical Muslims are committed out of a population of 3.5 to 4 million Muslims and the 100 acts of terror committed by whites are out of 300 million or 280, 250 million, whatever the number is in the denominator of whites, the chances that if you run into a white person that they're going to be a radical neo-Nazi is far, far orders of magnitude less. And some have done the research. It's somewhere in the hundreds of times less than a Muslim you may meet would be a radical Islamist. So if you're going to use identity, racial, stereotypical criteria to look at populations, Don Lemon, you're wrong. Now, again, as a civil libertarian, I don't want my government using race as an initial filter or ethnicity. It's not only un-American, it's unconstitutional. If, however, you're following a criminal You're following somebody who you have reasonable doubt may have committed an act, may have just returned from Syria, whatever it may be. The fact that they are Muslim also is very relevant. And if they were an Irish person that was not Muslim, that was coming back from helping a humanitarian organization, I would say that the risk would be less. That's not bias or discrimination. It's simply scientific Fact, and then you do the appropriate research and the background checks and the investigative follow-up. You see where I'm going with this. So let's look at the numbers and be real, be honest. Reformation cannot happen in a vacuum, but it needs to happen with honesty and transparency about what those numbers are. So in the wake of the synagogue shooting, I hope that we keep our perspective. It was absurd to me that there were those who did not want President Trump to come out to the synagogue. It's, he's our president. Knock it off. 
We had our differences, many of us, with him in the campaign. But once he becomes our president, I think it's important that we debate policy, that we debate issues of relevance, and not further divide and disrespect the office. Yes, we can disagree vehemently with ideas and with positions and with policy and articulations. Whatever he may say, we have a right to disagree with and and restate in a way that we find to be more palatable. Whatever that is, that's fine. That's normal American debate. But when our country needs to come together against violence, against war, against whatever it might be, he's our commander-in-chief. It starts with respect. I saw a piece in The Atlantic, which horrifically called out, this is written by likely a member of the Jewish community from the left, who called out those on the right and said that the Jewish community should ostracize those on the right who aid and abet the fascists, the neo-Nazis, and the other bigots and haters on the right, as if somehow one leads to the other. Basically, a blood libel. Or if those of us on the right were criticizing George Soros, then that means we must be doing it because he's Jewish, and that's anti-Semitic, and we are also thus, as a result, guilty. If you follow Ezra Nomani, one of the leaders in our Muslim reform movement, Max Boot, who was supposedly a conservative and now has spent the last year not only taking pictures with Stormy Daniels, but calling out every member of the conservative movement as if we have all become pariahs because of his hate for Trump. And he, as Ezra put it, called her out in what she put as a blood libel that somehow She's responsible for the deaths of those in Pittsburgh because of her criticism, her her academic evidence-based criticism of George Soros and those who organized a movement at the Kavanaugh hearings, which she said did not equate to Soros paying for demonstrations, but equated to organizations that were set up as agitprops, if you will, agitation propaganda. And then, obviously, they did what they do, which is use the Kavanaugh hearings to agitate communities. So that doesn't mean he paid for the demonstrations, but it certainly means that his fuel is behind the growth of these organizations. It's worth discussing. It doesn't mean that those on the right who may agree with her, she's not from the right, even though, yes, she publicly uh, talked about voting for Trump because of the reasons, especially in fighting the global jihad, that she did not want to vote for Hillary. But she still self-identifies as a moderate, centrist, left of center. And this comes from many of her positions, be it feminism, gay rights, or whatever that might be. And I respect that. But the fact that you have some members of the American community on the left who are from the Jewish community who are saying in the Atlantic that those on the right should be shunned, should be not allowed to come to synagogue, etc. I have to tell you, the reason I'm bringing it up in this program is this is exactly what they say of us Muslims here that do reform, 
the Islat, not the Jewish community, the Islamic community, the Muslim communities that are upset at the realities of the truth-telling that we say about their, their, their hate imams, as Shireen Kudosi calls them, the anti-Semitism spewed from the pulpits that many of us have been calling up for decades. And because we talk about it, they don't see it as tough love. They see it as an exposure that they don't want to have. And I have snapshots of large social media exchanges in private networks that say, shun Zudi Jasser and his family. Shun, do not allow them to be entered into dinner engagements at your table, etc. Now, I've never been kicked out of a mosque. Uh, all of this is often bluster. But at the end of the day, to see this coming from those in the Jewish community writing in the Atlantic, I hope you all realize that certain minority communities, it's not just minorities, you see this in Saudi Arabia, you see it in Iraq, you see it in Egypt and elsewhere, but there they control the government so they can do a lot more than simply shun us. The government can put those people in jail, they can torture them, etc. So... Reform is certainly a is certainly a long path, but every incident I think that brings us together as Americans reminds us of what every minority can go through, and I think we can learn from each other. And I hope members of the Jewish community look and see when you say folks like myself, Ezra Nomani, and others that are doing work of reform, look at often what some folks in the Jewish community are doing to others because of their disagreement with their ideas. Diversity is not just cultural or ethnic diversity. It is about ideological diversity, and we should be able to have that in this country. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. We'll be right back. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Welcome back. We're talking about anti-Semitism, about terrorism. And many on the left this week are talking about numbers. And I didn't want to sit down and read you statistics. But, you know, listen, the Trump administration put out its counterterrorism strategy and made it clear that one of the focuses is not only radical Islamic terrorism, Islamist terrorism, but neo-Nazi groups, hate groups in America. And yes, there are significant numbers, skinheads and others in the millions that adhere to this ideology. But yet, we need to put this into perspective. And putting it into perspective doesn't mean you can't address both in parallel tracks at the same time. And it doesn't mean that uh, radical neo-Nazis, which the left wants to call violent extremists so that they can also call the Islamists violent extremists. But I, I, I detest that language because they are not the same. They may end up at the same pathway at the same point, which is to kill an individual based on a hate for their ideas and for their identity. Yes, that may be a common endpoint of violent extremism, but the beginning point can be very different. For neo-Nazis, the beginning point is racial supremacy, is fascist belief in a Aryan race, etc. White nationalism, whatever the variety of 
supremacism that you want that basically we've all learned about in history from Adolf Hitler on. For Islamism, it's a belief that a system based in a Muslim identity, an Islamic state identity, and a Sharia state is dominant and everybody else is less human. So that's Sharia supremacy, Islamist supremacy, and thus they will kill and bomb concerts and restaurants and individuals to achieve a political goal, which is to weaken the West, to make the West withdraw so that they can seek dominance first in Muslim-majority countries and second to build enclaves and separatist movements in the West. That's the difference. And the original idea, which ends them in then committing an act of Islamist violent extremism, which is very similar to the endpoint of neo-Nazi violent extremism. But the scope is what I want to bring to you. And I'm not even going to repeat the, the crazy words of Don Lemon on CNN this week, who basically wanted the world to believe that the biggest threat to Americans is the white man and his attack and his terror. And you can look at the numbers. As I said, there's no doubt that the Trump administration and its counterterrorism strategy is focusing on neo-Nazi groups. But to say that the white man is the biggest threat, you can look at sheer numbers. And even by the sheer numbers, the number of arrests of Muslims seeking to join ISIS, radical Islamic groups, Jabhat al-Nusra, al-Qaeda, Jamaat Islamiyya, Hamas, etc., still is much larger than the arrests for, of neo-Nazis. Now, it's not thousands of times more, it's not hundreds of times more, but it's larger. But when you make a comparison, if you want to do the identity politic, the left screams at the right because the right, they think, is using the threat of Islamists in order to divide America and demonize the other and demonize the minority. So the left's response to that is not to look at root causes, but to demonize the majority and say they are the protector of the minority, and yet they're using the same weapon, which is identity politic and demonization of a race. So Don Lemon demonizes whites. Now, even from a stereotype standards, is that true? What he forgets is, even if let's just... I don't believe the aggregate numbers are more for whites than they are for, and by the way, Muslims could be white. Many of the Muslims that are in prison include the shoe bomber and others that are Western individuals that converted to Islam. So Islam is an ideology. Islamism is a political ideology. Radical Islamism is a terroristic political ideology, theopolitical ideology. Anyway. If you look at the sheer numbers, let's let me just say that let's assume that and let's use round numbers here, that there are a hundred acts of terror committed by neo-Nazis and fifty acts of terror a year completed by radical Muslims. But if those fifty acts of terror by radical Muslims are committed out of a population of three and a half to four million Muslims, and the hundred acts of terror committed by whites are out of 300 million or 280, 250 million, whatever the number is in the denominator of whites, 
the chances that if you run into a white person that they're going to be a radical neo-Nazi is far, far orders of magnitude less, and some have done the research, it's somewhere in the hundreds of times less than a Muslim you may meet would be a radical Islamist. So if you're going to use identity, racial, stereotypical criteria to look at populations, Don Lemon, you're wrong. Now, again, as a civil libertarian, I don't want my government using race as an initial filter or ethnicity. It's not only un-American, it's unconstitutional. If, however, you're following a criminal, you're following somebody who you have reasonable doubt may have committed an act, may have just returned from Syria, whatever it may be, the fact that they are Muslim also is very relevant. And if they were an Irish person that was not Muslim, that was coming back from helping a humanitarian organization, I would say that the risk would be less. That's not bias or discrimination. It's simply scientific fact. And then you do the appropriate research and the background checks and the investigative follow-up. You see where I'm going with this. So let's look at the numbers and be real, be honest. Reformation cannot happen in a vacuum, but it needs to happen with honesty and transparency about what those numbers are. So in the wake of the synagogue shooting, I hope that we keep our perspective. It was absurd to me that there were those who did not want President Trump to come out to the synagogue. It's He's our president. Knock it off. We had our differences, many of us, with him in the campaign. But once he becomes our president, I think it's important that we debate policy, that we debate issues of relevance and not further divide and disrespect the office. Yes, we can disagree vehemently with ideas and with positions and with policy and articulations. Whatever he may say, we have a right to disagree with and and restate in a way that we find to be more palatable. Whatever that is, that's fine. That's normal American debate. But when our country needs to come together against violence, against war, against whatever it might be. He's our commander-in-chief. It starts with respect. I saw a piece in The Atlantic which horrifically called out, this is written by likely a member of the Jewish community from the left who called out those on the right and said that the Jewish community should ostracize those on the right who aid and abet the fascists, the neo-Nazis, and the other bigots and haters on the right, as if somehow one leads to the other. Basically, a blood libel. Or if those of us on the right were criticizing George Soros, then that means we must be doing it because he's Jewish, and that's anti-Semitic, and we are also thus, as a result, guilty. If you follow Ezra Nomani, one of the leaders in our Muslim reform movement, Max Boot, who was supposedly a conservative and now has spent the last year not only taking pictures with Stormy Daniels, but calling out every member of the conservative movement as if we have all become pariahs because of his hate for Trump. And he, as Ezra put it, called her out in what she put as a blood libel that somehow She's responsible for the deaths uh, 
of those in Pittsburgh because of her criticism, her her academic evidence-based criticism of George Soros and those who organized a movement at the Kavanaugh hearings, which she said did not equate to Soros paying for demonstrations, but equated to organizations that were set up as agitprops, if you will, agitation propaganda. And then obviously they did what they do, which is use the Kavanaugh hearings to agitate communities. So that doesn't mean he paid for the demonstrations, but it certainly means that his fuel is behind the growth of these organizations. It's worth discussing. It doesn't mean that those on the right who may agree with her, she's not from the right, even though, yes, she publicly uh, talked about voting for Trump because of the reasons, especially in fighting the global jihad, that she did not want to vote for Hillary. But she still self-identifies as a moderate, centrist, left of center. And this comes from many of her positions, be it feminism, gay rights, or whatever that might be. And I respect that. But the fact that you have some members of the American community on the left who are from the Jewish community who are saying in the Atlantic that those on the right should be shunned, should be not allowed to come to synagogue, etc. I have to tell you, the reason I'm bringing it up in this program is this is exactly what they say of us Muslims here that do reform. The Islam, not the Jewish community, the Islamic community, the Muslim communities that are upset at the realities of the truth-telling that we say about their, their, their hate imams, as Shireen Kudosi calls them, the anti-Semitism spewed from the pulpits that many of us have been calling up for decades. And because we talk about it, they don't see it as tough love. They see it as an exposure that they don't want to have. And I have snapshots of large social media exchanges in private networks that say, shun Zudi Jasser and his family. Shun, do not allow them to be entered into dinner engagements at your table, etc. Now, I've never been kicked out of a mosque. Uh, all of this is often bluster. But at the end of the day, to see this coming from those in the Jewish community writing in the Atlantic, I hope you all realize that certain minority communities, and it's not just minorities, you see this in Saudi Arabia, you see it in Iraq, you see it in Egypt and elsewhere, but there they control the government so they can do a lot more than simply shun us. The government can put those people in jail, they can torture them, etc. So, reform is certainly a is certainly a long path. But every incident, I think, that brings us together as Americans reminds us of what every minority can go through. And I think we can learn from each other. And I hope members of the Jewish community to look and see when you say folks like myself, Ezra Nomani, and others that are doing work of reform, look at often what some folks in the Jewish community are doing to others because of their disagreement with their ideas. Diversity is not just cultural or ethnic diversity. It is about ideological diversity, and we should be able to have that in this country.
This is Udi Jasser, and we formed this. We'll be right back. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. In my last comments today, I want to bring it back home to the subject dearest to my heart, which is Islamic reform, counter-Islamism, anti-Islamism. And in this context of fighting anti-Semitism, I've always said, I had, I would ask you actually, by the way, I did a major testimony to Congress back in 2014 about anti-Semitism and the roots of anti-Semitism in the Muslim community, and especially the Islamist connection to demonization of the other. And in the wake of the Pittsburgh terror attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue, you saw a lot of just wonderful aspects of American humanity come out in, in, in solidarity against hate and solidarity against bigotry. And statement after statement, service after service, candlelight vigils all over the country, and especially in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. Leadership from Washington to L.A. to Seattle, Miami, all over the country, talking about the need for us to fight anti-Semitism. But I have to tell you, as a Muslim, you know, I think... You know, leave it between individual groups and mosques and, and God to testify to the authenticity of that. But, you know, I think the Middle East Forum hit the nail on the head, as Sam Westrop uh, wrote for the Islamist Watch and said, you know, there's a letter that ran on November 1 condemning anti-Semitism, an advertisement in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette coordinated by the Western State Center and signed by representatives of 130 organizations. The letter explicitly condemns the recent massacre and blames increasing violence on the rhetoric of politicians. So it blamed it on the rhetoric of politicians. The signatories calls on voters to reject anti-Semitism through the ballot box. So these folks came together to say that they're going to pledge to raise their voices against any politician who campaigns in anti-Semitism and commits to vote against anti-Semitism on November 6th. Fine, that's a worthy cause. I do think it's politicizing what's going on. But again, anyone who would defend a politician that's anti-Semitic is unconscionable. So if that's what they're all about, I, I get a guess that they're talking about being against conservatives. But because they're, I think, not only falsely, but malignantly trying to paint the entire right as being anti-Semitic, which is not only false, but... I guess, paints the Republican-Jewish coalition as anti-Semitic, which is absurd. And as they point out, as Sam points out, it's welcome to see such a diverse array of organizations. But he points out then that ICNA, which is the Jamaat Islamiyah, the Islamic Circle of North America, their Council for Social Justice, a group tied closely to the violent and anti-Semitic Jamaat Islamiyah, Mohsen Ansari member has written of his pleasure that the Islamist party in Turkey is in power despite the power brokers of the world, the liberal anti-Muslim media headed by Jews, he said. Ikna was also a prominent supporter of Afia Siddiqui, a jailed Al-Qaeda operative. Other signatories include CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, 
CARES Pittsburgh branch has been quoted generously in the media over the past few days, over the last few days, in which she condemned the killings in solidarity with her Jewish community, brothers and sisters. But she's not been as friendly to the Jews online. She promotes and endorses anti-Semitic statements of Ken O'Keefe, a prominent Holocaust denier whom the Southern Poverty Law Center condemned because of his overt anti-Semitism. So, hey, this begs the question. It goes on, and Sam talks about Hussein Elush, who I've talked about on this program before. Elush was widely criticized earlier this year after he claimed that Jewish-American kids who joined the Israeli armed forces are no different than ISIS which I I spoke about on this program and found to be horrifically anti-Semitic in that statement. I'm not going to get into the argument here. It's an obvious argument, which is absurd. But I do have to say that this begs the question, do we just, when we, after a heinous act of terror, anyone that wants to sign on, we let them pile on and let it be one united America, no matter who signs it? Uh, you know, I have to tell you, it, uh, uh, first of all, I don't sign anything with Islamist groups. I don't care if it's about a blood drive, if it's something for that appears to be uh, um, innocuous, unrelated to the theopolitical dimension of the Council on America Islamic Relations or ICNA or the Islamic side of North America, which I believe many of these groups have separatist, almost an insurgent quality to them among many other fellow travelers that might be very patriotic Muslims that just don't do any research about the leadership, whatever it might be. I do believe that you're not going to see the defeat of these organizations if we continue to give them platforms under the rubric of interfaith respect, interfaith legitimacy, and then you're going to continue to see them lifted up. Now, when you have a panel of Muslims to debate, yes, I don't want to see their seat taken away. I believe you will only know the difference between Muslim reform movement leaders and Islamists, when you see us together debating and see which ideas we differ on. So I think that juxtaposition is important. But when you see American governmental, media, academic things done in the name of interfaith, in the name of counterterrorism, in the name of overarching ideas that bring us together, that should lift up, those who believe in the Constitution and Bill of Rights, those who believe in our way of life, I would hope the Islamists are not invited because they should not be given that legitimacy. Now, you know, if you're going to have a police board and a Muslim advisory board, you can either filter out the Islamists or if you're going to have Islamists, make sure you have everybody there and say, you know what, we're not going to determine who the good or bad guys are in the Muslim community. This is a Muslim advisory board. But if you're going to have a letter on anti-Semitism to invite the anti-Semites like Linda Sarsour or the Islamic side of North America or Siraj Wahaj, the imam that's on the board of many of these who, whose kids and grandkids were found in the New Mexico radical camp where the apple did not fall far from the imam's anti-Semitic, anti-American tree. I would hope you would not invite his like or his colleagues in the boards of the organization that he thrives on to be part of that. As I talked about in my book, he endorsed in a speech that I rejected publicly the replacement of the U.S. Constitution with the Quran in his dream to establish an Islamic state. This is not exaggeration. This is something I witnessed with my own eyes and talk about in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. So, when you're going to work 
to, to stamp out the ideas of anti-Semitism. Do not invite those who try to nuance between saying that they hate Israel, but they love Jews. In the meanwhile, they'd like to see they call for the right of return, which basically is the nullification of Israel. As the State Department, again, I'm quoting a left-of-center, basically, Arabist organization. They talk about hate for Israel being the new anti-Semitism. There's a reason it's the new anti-Semitism, because it's not about just difference with policies in Israel. It's about the refusal to recognize the sovereignty and the democracy of Israel. It's a refusal to recognize it as a legitimate state that is part and parcel of the anti-Semitism, of the new anti-Semitism. These are all important. So if you're going to, after a horrific attack, the largest number dead of an attack in the United States upon the Jewish community in a single act of terror, do you invite established anti-Semites to sign a letter along with you? I think they did it just to say that they invited Muslims and that basically it was a political ploy against the right. I don't know, but there's an alliance, and it's called the Red-Green Alliance, and it seems to rise above rationality in which the left works with the Islamists and ignores all of their hypocrisies. Ignores their hypocrisies. So if we're going to defeat this radicalization, if we're going to defeat these ideas that are peddled under the name, the deception of interfaith work, from anti-Semites, don't let them ride the coattails. Don't let them pretend to be something they're not. Hold them accountable. Stop the bigotry of low expectations, please. Because I think ultimately that's what it is. Well, we won't. Let's invite the Muslims. Bring the Muslims over. Forget that their last sermon was about conspiracy theories and anti-Israel stuff and all the passages that they talk about that talk about the defeat of the Jews, etc. That's not been reformed. It's not been addressed. But we'll invite them to write the letter that we put in the Pittsburgh newspaper. That hypocrisy needs to stop. As a nation, we need to come together and not legitimize, not give platform to groups that reject behind our back things they say they don't in front. Thank you for joining me again this week. We spent a bit of time today talking about anti-Semitism, Islamism, the fronts that we're fighting, legitimizations of organizations. Please share this podcast. Please invite your friends to subscribe. Find us on iTunes. Find me on SoundCloud and at the Blaze Radio Network website. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Facebook at MZ Jasser. Thank you for joining me on reform this. God bless. We'll see you next week. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.